This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. So everybody, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. And today I have Spiro Sanastas with me, and uh, he's a head coach of the Brampton Beast in the ECHL. Um, and he had the pre- previously had the same role in, for the South Carolina Stingrays in 2018-2019. Prior to that, he was the head coach of the University of Lethbridge from 2014 to 2018, He's also spent seasons uh, as an assistant coach with the Grand Rapids Griffins in the AHL and a season at Western Michigan University. His coaching career began back in, uh, at his alma mater at Lebanon Valley College in January of 2010. He's also spent time coaching with the Estonian and Korean national programs and Team Alberta. He played four years at Lebanon Valley College after playing junior hockey in the OJHL as he grew up in Toronto. So without further ado, Spiros, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Kenny. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on. Yeah. So just one of the things I always like to get started with in uh, with our guests is, can you just tell me a little bit, you know, what kind of kid were you like? What led you on this path to the coaching career you've got now? Yeah, I'm a, I, I would consider myself a non-traditional uh, coach and even a hockey player coming up as a kid through minor hockey and junior hockey and eventually college. Uh, you know, I'm a son of immigrant parents. Uh, both my parents were born in Greece and, you know, obviously not a lot of hockey connections or hockey ties or hockey pedigree or lineage or whatever, you know, term you want to use. Uh, my father came over and fell in love with the game by watching the Maple Leafs and he was fortunate to see them win a couple Stanley Cups. Uh, <laughs> so that was early in his life, but they kind of roped him in then and, th- and then he kind of just fell in love with the game and he was self-taught and played a little bit. But, uh, you know, really when he had me, the first Canadian born, uh, you know, in our f- entire family, he made it uh, kind of part of our family culture. He, he really wanted me to be part of it. I fell in love with it too, watching games with him uh, and then eventually playing and, you know, having my family there and supporting me through the ranks. Uh, you know, it became a little bit of our own Canadian story. And, and there's not really much anything more really more Canadian than that, that, you know, an immigrant family uh, coming here and assimilating themselves in the culture. And then, you know, a a young Greek kid by the name of Spiros Anastas fall in love with the game and then eventually making a career out of it. So a little bit non-traditional in that sense, but like every Canadian kid born here, you know, I love playing. It was really important for me to uh, always be at the best level I could be. Uh, you know, I was a late bloomer in the game in terms of minor hockey. I was, I was better. I played every sport I could. I played basketball, soccer, um, you know, baseball. I was really good at it at a young age. But hockey, I, I, I played pretty much just like select house league until I was about 11, 12 years old. And then, uh, you know, one year single A, one year double A. And by the time I hit triple A, I was already in my OHL draft year. Um, and then played a little bit of junior and eventually went to college. So, uh, you know, I fell in love with the game. Loved being a leader, loved providing value any way I could. Um, I was never the best, uh, you know, wasn't really great offensively, but I could do a lot of little things right, uh, whether it was, you know, work ethic or leading or penalty killing or blocking shots. So that's kind of where I really focused on as, a, as an individual, not just as a hockey player, but always providing value and, and being a benefit to my team and making players around me better. So I think naturally, um, 
with that leadership role as I came towards graduating college and I was presented with an opportunity. I think the transition to coaching was, was pretty seamless for me. So I didn't know for sure I wanted to coach. Uh, but I was 24 years old. I'd done some internships, different ones in finance on Bay Street and others. Uh, I thought maybe I'd be an agent. So I did an internship at an NHLPA certified agency. And then the, uh, my first coaching opportunity pretty much came by fluke at my alma mater. And it, I just, I tried it out and uh, it kind of has been all I've ever done since then, since January, 2010. So um, yeah, that's pretty much how I fell into it. Kind of by mistake. It was like a, a bunch of dominoes falling, like our, our coach getting fired, me missing uh, the second half of our, of my senior season, and then really just stepping on the bench from there. So it was uh, unique, but I knew the second I stepped on the bench and, ran my first practice I knew that it was something I was gonna do the rest of my life yeah I think that's awesome because I mean especially when you're playing sports at a pretty high level mm -hmm. right most kids kind of find that the only path to success is getting to the absolute top level and you know being the being the guy that everybody's watching on tv but uh what I've really liked about these interviews since I've started doing them and you know your story specifically as well is the way you were able to transition and make your life not playing the game but still you know, you're around the game every day and you're doing something you love to do, helping others achieve their dreams playing hockey too. Yeah. I think if you have, if there's something that you put your mind to, like I knew through college that, Hey, like I'm going to have to look at some different opportunities and options in life just to do my due diligence. And, you know, I was, I was behooved to, to at least consider everything, but I knew in the back of my head that I want to be involved in sports. And then it became a little bit more finite that I wanted to be involved in hockey. Um, and then eventually it became that I wanted to be involved in, in coaching. But, you know, through the process, I knew there was plenty of opportunities to, to be involved in sports. When you put your mind to it, um, you know, you can really find that, that there's so many career opportunities, so many ways to get to top levels, so many ways to have an impact, uh, whether they're on an organization's uh, operations or a staff or even players. Uh, there's so many ways to get involved. So, you know, that's kind of how it started. It started as a broad vision for me that I wanted to be in sports and then eventually became, uh, you know, specifically into coaching. But, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, you know, it's so easy just to, you know, think, well, I want to be there in, in the NHL or the top pro league or whatever respective sport. Uh, but it, you got to pay your dues. You got you to find those ways to, you know, take every little baby step, uh, to get there. And, it, you know, whether it's through networking or volunteering or working for free or, you know, just grinding it out, uh, whether it's doing grunt work or, uh, you know, starting at a very low level, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so I think that's really important. Uh, you know, it's great to have goals in the vision, like I talked about, but at the same time, recognizing that it takes, uh, time and it takes a real, you know, steadfast commitment to, uh, you know, achieve those goals and dreams. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing how people can look at it and sort of say, you know, wow, these players in the NHL, like, wow, imagine getting to make your living playing the sport you love to play. And they don't really realize that it's like, you know, they might be on TV now, they might be at that top level now, but that's after 15, 18, 20 years of being at the rinks at 6 a.m., being at the gym, doing all of these extra things. But, I mean, it also goes the same for coaching. It's like people don't tend to step into a coaching role and then be in the NHL after day one, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I had a, an entry-level position offered to me in finance after graduation, uh, you know, at a, at a pretty good financial firm 
that had a location in Toronto, but based out of Chicago. And, uh, you know, it offered, it offered a, a pretty substantial amount of money for a 24 year old that was coming out of college. Um, and I didn't even end up making that money, that entry level money until five years into my coaching career. Uh, you know, my first coaching job at my alma mater was for $9,000 and, you know, it was expected full-time work and I had to, you know, just to have some pocket change to, to, you know, enjoy my life a little bit and, and spend a little extra. Uh, I had to, I vacuumed the cafeteria at midnight uh, every night at the college that I worked at. And, you know, I'd do it and I'd have my hood over my head to make sure that no players were, you know, were walking by because the cafeteria was attached to the computer lab. So guys, staying up late doing work, you know, I don't want them seeing their assistant coach vacuuming the cafeteria, but it was something I was really dedicated to doing because I, one, I needed to live, but two, I wanted to be a coach and I knew I wasn't going to make millions. I still don't make millions. Um, you know, I hope I do one day, but it's, it's the love and passion for the game that keeps you going. And then you really got to take stock into your payment, especially in the early years and throughout your entire career is the experience that, that you get, uh, the experiences that you, you encounter and the people you get to work under and the mentorship that uh, is out there. So that's kind of the way I looked at it and, and I felt that I was getting richer every year just, just through that. So that's, you know, it's, you're right. It, it, you, you can't get places overnight and I can't emphasize that, you know, too much. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, you know, a little bit just on my, looking back at my own story too, it's like, that's a really big thing the strength and conditioning industry is kind of widely known as a place where it's really tough to find full-time work period, like whether it's with sports teams or what, but, uh, you know, so I was told countless times coming up that, well, you're going to go to university and then you're going to work the front desk at a good life or something like that. And that's going to be what you do forever. But then, you know, yeah, the first seven years of coaching, I was, it was all volunteer, but it was all just experience and, you know, kind of learning how to do it properly. And then, even the first paid job was I was making, you know, probably $800 a month on like split shifts working two, three hours at a time. Like, but it was the work itself was what I've always wanted to do. And then, you know, you kind of work your way up and you find the better opportunities. So for anybody right now that might be listening, that's facing that sort of decision, whether it's, you know, the finance job versus the coaching job, the job of their dreams versus the one that's going to pay them well right away. Is there anything you could sort of say from your experience to maybe tip them in that direction and make them realize that, you know, that paycheck might look nice, but doing what you love to do every day is really going to be worth so much more in the end. Yeah. And some of the things, you know, some of it's cliche and you've probably heard it numerous times, but you want to feel like you're not working a single day of your life. Right. And I I don't feel that, you know, I wake up with excitement every day to get to the rink or get to a game or get to, you know, behind my computer to watch video. Uh, for me, I, I feel very fortunate to be able to call that my job, but it doesn't feel like a job. And, you know, when I did the internship downtown Toronto, and I, I take the go train every day and, you know, there's guys on there wearing thousand dollar suits, um, but they look miserable before the day starts and they look miserable in the day ends. And in, in over a three month internship, you see the same people in elevators and escalators and on the floor, uh, and on the go train and, and, you know, it's just, it almost becomes robotic. And, uh, for some people it's, I think it's a sad existence. Now I'm not saying there's guys that I saw that had tons of energy, uh, whether they were, on, whether they were trading securities or, 
uh, you know, investing in real estate, like they loved it. But you can see those guys performed because they loved coming in. Like that was their game time. That was their game day. But other guys were doing it. Most guys were doing it um, for the paycheck. It was a great job. It was, uh, you know, upward mobility. And it was just something that they felt that it was right to do. And, and you see those guys, they fantasize about doing what I do on a daily basis. And some of them to this day, now I'm 35 years old, uh, a lot of those guys I interned with or, or worked under who are around the same age, they're probably making triple what I'm making right now. Um, but for me, I, I wasn't willing to risk being miserable or, uh, you know, not, or asking myself, what if, you know, uh, I wanted to do something I loved every day and something that I had a lot of passion for and being able to make an impact on individuals' lives. So, you know, if you're faced with that choice, there's logical reasons for either one. Uh, you know, there's no real bad decision as long as you stand by your decision and are proud of it and put everything you have into it. Uh, but for me, I just evaluated myself in that environment and I looked at if I expanded it beyond an internship into, you know, full-time real life, I didn't think I'd be able to perform every day to the best of my ability. So I wanted to put myself in a position where I could perform all the time. And that was choosing the hockey room. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's like, what I love about that is just the, you know, not wanting to look back and ask what if, because I think that's a big thing. That's a big common thing that I've been talking about in these interviews is, uh, you know, the athletes that as they're coming up, they might have some talent, they might make it a decent distance, but they just don't really have that drive to kind of go the extra mile and do the extra work. And then they end up, you know, in their 30s, 40s, working some sort of miserable job that they're looking back on their career going, man, I wish I had worked a little bit harder. I wish I had, you know, gone to the gym, done those extra sessions, and who knows where it could have led me. And just to sort of live that the rest of your life with that sort of feeling of not knowing what you could have made yourself into, I think is a pretty, it's a pretty tough thing to have to live with, right? Yeah, it is. And a lot of people go through it, right? Uh, you know, a lot of people reach that point at some point in their, their lives. I, I've reached it in terms of other things as well. And I think of course. collect as adults, so we, ways it could have been better. And, you know, why didn't we have the intelligence or the wherewithal then that we do now? Uh, when our bodies were in better shape and, and, you know, stuff like that. But I think that's just, that's almost like a rite of passage of, of just, you know, being human. But uh, yeah, that was it for me. Like I just, I wanted to be happy. And I feel like when I'm happy at, at work, uh, that's when I'm the best at home too. I'm the best husband, the best father, uh, you know, son, brother, whatever it may be. Uh, so that, that was kind of the ultimate decision for me. I think what's important for people to understand too is that, you know, not everybody's path is the same. Uh, yeah. And it's really, and, and look, the, I, I'm a guy that's kind of pointing something out right now and giving advice, but I've fallen victim to this numerous times. So I'm not trying to claim that I'm, I'm perfect or anything like that, but we talk about the athletes that look at, you know, the NHL players or the NBA players, you know, and NFL, CFL, whatever, and think like, man, like it must be so great to be there. Um, but take it one more step. We even look at our peers, you know, we look at, a guy I played with in high school or a guy I, I coached against in the same league. And now he's gotten this opportunity and he's moved up and I'm still here. And some of the best advice I've ever heard, and you know, it's not mine. It's from, I've heard from other coaches or podcasts or tweets, but not everyone's path is the same. And if you spend too much time worrying about someone else's path, or, you know, if, if Kenny gets 
a job in the American League or the NHL, and I haven't gotten that yet, but I spend my time wondering why he got it, then I'm just losing opportunity to better myself. And, you know, some guys peak at different times. Some guys will get, you know, reach their goals in their late 50s or early 60s, and other guys will get those bounces in their mid-30s. It, it doesn't matter when it happens, but just focus on your own path. I think that's so important. And nothing, it couldn't be more true for athletes too. Uh, we all have different bodies, different mindsets, different peaks, uh, you know, different opportunities that come our way. There's no, you can't predict when it's going to be, when it's going to happen. So be ready for, for it when it does. And if you're too focused on what your peer is doing, then you're probably not going to be ready when your opportunity uh, comes for you to shine. So that's, that's something I've struggled with, uh, to be honest. You know, I think we all do. And it's okay. It's okay to struggle with it. It's okay to look at others and be maybe even envious for a slight bit, but you can't dwell on it. You know, you can, you can visit Pityville, but don't, you know, don't break ground and build a, you know, a building there and live in it. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's really important to focus on your own path and, and just trust in yourself and the work that you're putting in. Yeah. I mean, I love that you said that because I think that's something, you know, I know I see it a lot when I've got uh, younger kids in the gym and they're looking and they're going, you know, I didn't make the team, but this kid made the team and I have no idea how they could have made it over me. And I keep trying to bring them back. I'm like, Hey, yeah, maybe you didn't make this team this time. Clearly the coach was looking for something that this kid did that you didn't do. And so, you know, now just focus on what you can do better next time and make sure that the next tryout you go into there's no possibility of leaving you off the roster. And, you know, so instead of focusing on who did make it, focus on what you're going to be able to change to actually get there next time. Because I know yeah. especially now, right, like the world of social media, you have access to everybody's thoughts on everything all the time. And so it's kind of tough to maybe zone yourself in a bit and focus just on yourself. Do you have any thoughts, like if there's a kid right now that's, maybe in that mindset and might not even be aware of it. Anything you could sort of say to them to make them realize, you know, it doesn't matter what this guy or that guy's doing, just focus in on you and the results are going to come for you. Yeah. I mean, maybe this sounds a little corny, but there's a really neat resource uh, for any young player or anyone really in life uh, to get instant access to a person that can provide their opportunities and make them better and uh you know motivate themselves and get them to continue striving it's called a mirror uh you take a second to look in that mirror every single day and that's the person that's going to give you the next opportunity that's the person that's going to get you through hard times that's the person that's going to motivate you that's the person that's got, that has to believe in you because it doesn't matter if anyone else does at that point and that's the person that's going to get you uh to the level you want to be uh yes there's that saying that it only takes one person to give you a chance but ultimately when you get that chance it's because of you it's not because that person decided to just take a flyer on you it's because of something you did so you know that's my advice to any young athlete that's facing that right now um you know roadblocks are are made uh for me personally i, I believe and i and i got this from a lecture when i was in university uh roadblocks are put there to see how badly we want to get to our goal uh, you know, those who are just run into the wall and fall down and turn around and go the other way, then they don't want it as bad as you do. So you find a way to, you know, climb over that wall and get around it or break through it. So, uh, you know, to any of those young athletes that you get down on themselves because someone else made it or because a coach didn't give them that chance, they're the only ones that can pull themselves out of it. 
That's it. And you know what? There's no shame. There really is no shame in, in saying, I don't think I'm up for that challenge. I don't think I'm up for that task. It happens every day in hockey alone and it happens in sports and it happens in business and it happens in life. Um, but then don't lie to yourself. Don't be a pretender. Uh, there's nothing more as a coach that I hate than pretenders. Uh, you know, either choose to do it or choose not to. No one's going to judge you either way. But if you really want something and you're down on yourself because someone else got it, then you just got to step up and, and do the work and look at it as the next opportunity to prove yourself again. Yeah. I mean, I think the pretender thing I can, Oh, I can think of so many examples, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely one that I would have to agree with you. Like if it's not for you, there's no harm in, you know, realizing that it's not for you and moving on, but it's the ones who aren't willing to do it, but want to talk like they're willing to do it. That are, that's always a frustrating, frustrating one to deal with for sure. But I really like that. I really like that. Like the way you put that, you know, it might be a little bit cliche, but it is so true. It's, you can rely on opportunities that others are going to present you, but the way you're going to get those opportunities is doing that yourself. And those little things outside of just being a good hockey player, you know, or being good at your sport, those little things that you're willing to do, you're willing to try that one more time that the other guy's not willing to try or whatever it is sort of on the mental side, that's really going to help you break through. Yeah. hundred percent. Like you got to, you know, again, nobody's perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. Like bad things happen to everybody and there's challenges uh, and there's times you're going to question those challenges and, and wonder if they're too hard to overcome, but it's, it's always an opportunity is it's always an opportunity. It's, it's something that you can build on or you can adjust, or you can actually even reaffirm to yourself. You might, you might lose an opportunity because of something you so wholeheartedly believe in. And maybe that's just a challenge because maybe if you change right away, then you're actually doing yourself a disservice. So maybe it reaffirms, yourself well I'm going to stick to my guns and this is how I'm going to approach this this preparation or this topic or or whatever this philosophy if you're a coach trying to make it uh you know sometimes things happen for a reason again I'm throwing all every cliche in the book right now I guess but they're cliches for a reason too exactly they they mean something so it's you know you control your your thought process you control how you respond and you know that's that's the big picture outlook but when you learn how to respond to that stuff, then even in the small picture, whether it's a, you know, a turnover or a bad shift or a game that you have a bad start, you know, that's all about responding too. So, you know, it's, it's a real important characteristic and talent to acquire as a human being, especially in the world of sport, because it's, it's always about how you respond. Yeah. I mean, I love that you're throwing these cliches out just because again, they are cliches for a reason. Like you said, like there's, you know, it is so much up to what you can control, especially in something like sports. When you get to high levels, you know, people around you are going to make mistakes. Refs are going to make mistakes. You're going to have bad games. You know, things are going to happen, but it's how you react to those things, right? Like you can't say, oh, I turned the puck over one time, so I'm done with today. Like you've got to be able to shake it off, turn around, get going again, and forget about the mistake you made and make the right play next time, right? A hundred percent. And also your response to positive things is equally as important as well. Uh, you know, you can be up by a lot of goals. You can be feeling it. You can be getting a lot of goal scorers bounces, but I've seen it go the other way as well, where positive things start making people uh, develop bad habits or lazy habits or a laissez-faire approach to the things they're supposed to do. And as a coach myself, I've had many, many players, 
kind of look at me sideways at times when I'm on them about something that they're not buying into. Uh, but meanwhile, they've scored two goals and gotten an assist in that given game, right? And, you know, you can't let things slide even when you're having success. So, you know, it, for me, the, the scale is balanced. You need to respond when things don't go your way, but you need to respond when things go your way as well. Uh, you know, I think a bump-up shift after scoring a goal is just as important as a bump-up shift after letting a goal up, uh, at least in the game of hockey. So, um, you know, that's that's something that I preach as a coach. I think something that for young athletes to really take into consideration, it's not just one side of the coin. You're consistently responding to every event that happens. That's what sports is. It's a sequence of events, a, a sequence of, of mistakes and opportunities. Uh, so whether it's good or bad, your response needs to be great every time. Uh, and then when it's not, then your next response has to be better. And it's always about the next controllable situation, like you mentioned. Yeah. When, so I think that's something that, you know, more and more coaches are thankfully talking about is just, you know, focusing on you and trying to make sure that you're controlling what you can and you're not worrying about the stuff that you can't as much. But one thing I find that, uh, you know, people that I've worked with have definitely struggled with. I know I've struggled with in the past before is keeping that mindset. So, you know, I know to do that, but then you can kind of get caught up in the game or caught up in whatever situation you're in and, maybe forget about that a little bit. Do you have anything for anything for us that we're like to just sort of keep your, keep yourself coming back to that mindset and that thought of forget about the things you can't control and make sure you're focused on what you can and focused on, you know, improving your response every time you have the chance. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, from a, a team perspective, we always have kind of our game keys and kind of just like our benchmarks uh, as a team that we want to hit on a game to game basis or a segment to segment basis. And we believe those things themselves specifically allow our guys to reset because obviously it's really easy to get swayed emotionally by the scoreboard. Uh, but all these, these categories are not related to the scoreboard in the sense of, well, they are, because if we, if you're doing them right, you're going to law of averages say that you're going to, you're going to win the game. But they break the game down. So, but we encourage our players too to have their own set of, of game keys. Like, this is how I feel when I'm playing at my best. This is what, uh, this is what I'm doing when I'm providing the optim optimal value to my team. Uh, so, you know, we, through a mental performance approach, we try and encourage our guys to kind of reset themselves and think about those little things. And if you can accomplish one of them on your next shift or one of them in your next game, then you've gotten that that much better, and it's it, it's hard. It's not it's not easy. It's it's a like it's not easy to to keep the mindset. Like you you do lose it. You do have those tough games. So on a more of a philosophical approach, we encourage our guys to talk about it. Um, you know, you can see athletes like just killing themselves on the bench and just internalizing it, and you know they're trying their hardest to go through that mental process that we're encouraging about, okay, let, let me, let me think about my strengths and where I provide value and my game keys, my team game keys, but they just can't break through. And they're just internal. I actually just saw it today. I was watching the, the first half of the Toronto Raptors game and Mark Gasol, who just can't hit a shot if his life depended on it right now. He got so frustrated. He pulled himself off the court. He asked for a sub and then he walked off the court and maybe for him, he's going to recoup and maybe he's, he's, got to you know get in his own head but for me 
uh, from a philosophical approach, I encourage guys to talk about it. Don't go off by yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't lean your forehead on your hockey stick. Don't hang your head between your legs. Come talk to the coaches about it. Come talk to, talk to your, your teammates about it. Uh, get some reinforcement. Get some constructive criticism. I think then it, you'll be able to formulate your response a lot more effectively, a lot better. So, so for us as a staff, like when a guy's struggling, we don't let him just sit there and, and soak it in by himself. We'll, you know, we'll go, whether it's a, a physical or verbal or visual uh, reinforcement, we'll try and give it to him. But then next step when we have time, whether it's intermission or after a game or before next practice, like bring him in and talk, the, talk it through with them. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Uh, and look, I'm not perfect. There's times that I probably make it worse for the player. There's probably times I'm asking like, what the heck are you doing? I'm not, I'm not phrasing it the right way. Uh, but what we try to do is try and get their perspective first before we make judgment. And I think when you create that environment as a coach, then players are more willing to open up and then more willing to hear what you have to say and then come to the, the, you know, the solution a lot quicker that way. Cause they really yeah. feel like you have the best interest in mind. So yeah, uh, that's my philosophical approach on that. Once they can't get through the game keys and the resetting of the, of themselves. Well, I love that, man. Cause the thing too is like, you know, we, none of us are perfect. Right. It's like, but you know, now at 35, after having played through a college career and after having coached for, you know, the past 10 years, well, you've learned a thing or two that even if you're not perfect, you're going to have some things in your back pocket that are going to be able to help that kid, help that guy as he's dealing with some issues or as he's struggling a little bit, you know, you won't maybe have the answer every time, but the key is always just trying to develop and find the answers. And, you know, if you don't do it right, the work, first time just like you tell players you're trying to figure out how to do it right the next time yeah and I think it's it's funny because it, a lot of the times I don't come up with the answer for them you know like I, I bring them in and, and you get you know there's the standard player response or I know I know I know right or oh I'm just like I'm I'm cold right now or I suck right now like and I think as facilitators of performance whether you're a strength coach or a mental coach or an assistant coach or head coach or whatever you got to break that. You can't just accept that. Right. So that's where I'm talking about, like to get those guys through that mindset to, you know, that they can get back to what they can control, bring them in and do not accept those things as an answer. So the number one thing is they've got to identify what is going wrong. You have to face it. You have to identify it. You can't just put it aside by saying, I'm just cold right now, or, you know, the monkey's on my back right now, or I just suck right now, or just wasn't ready. Cause that's not good enough. You have to identify where the mistakes happen or yeah. where, you know, where the faults are happening. And, you know, I try my best to talk the player through it where they actually formulate their own answer because they know, they do know, but you can't just accept, I know, I know, I know as an answer. So I challenge them. I said, no, you don't know. And then, it, then they want to prove to me that they know. So now they explain to me, well, in this D zone, uh, you know, structure, I just, I kept losing my guy on the wall or, or whatever. And okay, so now we've identified it. Why? Because I was turning my stick this way rather than that okay, have we done it? You know, what have we done to make it better? Well, in practice, we normally work on this and I can do these extra drills or this and that. And now the kid, the kid or player or adult, I mean, I coach guys in their thirties as well. They've just formulated the whole response and the whole correction themselves. And so I think that's really what our job is as coaches and as leaders is to get them to identify it themselves. So that's why you know, there's little short fixes on how to get a guy right on, on the mindset, but when they're having trouble, you have to identify as a coach, a player that's having trouble 
uh, getting out of his own head and then getting him to identify the solutions himself. I can bring a guy in, sit him down on, on a chair and show him 30 clips and have him in there for half an hour. And maybe he takes away 10% of that, that, you know, shellacking that I give him. Um, but if I sit with him and get him to the point to identify his mistake, the reason why the mistake happened, how he can correct it and the next steps, and then show him maybe two clips, I think that you're getting to a player way faster. Uh, so that's how I, I try and get them, get them through it. And sometimes it doesn't work on try number one. You got to bring them in the next day or the next day and it, it happens, but that's our job. And that's what I, at least what I believe. Of course. Well, I mean, I think that's one really important thing, you know, something I think a lot about uh, just in my role as a strength coach, but I think with coaches in general is buy-in, right? It's like, if you're working on whatever you're working on, I can bring any athlete in and put them through a workout, but if they don't really know, you know, what's this workout going to do to actually help me when I get back to the ice or back to the court or back to, you know, whatever else it is for them. Well, then how hard are they really going to push? Cause well, training's hard. If I don't know how it's going to help me, why am I going to do it? And you yeah. know, but if you're actually able to break it down for them and explain or get them to realize, Hey, if you're, you know, you build up your power by doing this drill, this drill, this drill, then when you put your skates on and you start accelerating, how much harder are you going to be able to push? Then they're seeing the correlation and they're understanding, oh, the reason I need to try hard here is because I'm going to skate faster, I'm going to change directions better, I'm going to have a harder shot. Now all of a sudden they're working five times harder because they know what it's going to do for them. Same sort of thing as you're saying in those player meetings, like getting them to identify it. Well, once they've identified their own issues, they're hard-pressed to, you know, they're hard-pressed not to start working harder at them because they know for sure it's not just somebody telling them what's wrong. It's them understanding this is what I'm doing wrong and this is what I need to fix. Yeah, I mean, it's the generation of why, right? Everybody wants to know why. Um, you know, they, everything in their lives they have instant access to, right? It's not like when I was in grade school, I, it was just I could just hear somebody say something and I, I said it, I thought that was fact, or right? I couldn't just pull up my iPhone and Google it to fact check it or or whatever, but now it's just why. So like you said, you got to connect everything you do to the ultimate application uh, for these players. So whether it's a drill or a video meeting or whatever, just connect it to how it's going to help them in game. Uh, you know, and there's lots of resources to help you do that. But I think you're absolutely right there. It's, you have to get them. That's part of the buy-in. Uh, if they think they're doing something because it's arbitrary or it's something just because we're doing it to go through the paces, you're going to lose your team pretty quickly. So that's, you know, that's the generation today. It's not, it's not because I said so. Um, yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't work in, anymore. It just doesn't. So I think that's one of the advantages as a younger coaches. That's all I've ever known as a coach. Uh, you know, so it's the way I, I have to kind of present myself on a daily basis. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's something that, you know, yeah, you might get the athletes that, still respond to the because I said so but I think even those ones that you know will do it just because their coach says so if they actually understand it they're just going to work that much harder and they're going to get that much more out of it right it's like you can come into the gym four times a week and put yourself through the paces or you can understand the application of you know this exercise in the gym is going to apply on the ice in these three ways well, now you want those improvements that this exercise is going to give you. So instead of kind of half-assing it, giving it 70%, why 
you're going to actually try as hard as you can and you're going to be a different animal when you hit the ice instead of just a little bit stronger or a little bit faster. 100%. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I want to talk about those game keys you were mentioning too, because I think that's a really interesting, uh, really interesting tactic, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So you guys have those for the team as a whole, but then you're saying you encourage the players to do that too, correct? Yeah, I, 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 you know, there's probably times I, I probably need to harp on it a lot more. Uh, I think that's something I really want to focus on coming into this this season a little bit more. But we always have our game keys that relate to a number of things, like what we can do better. Uh, but also like it, it's related to our pre-scout of our opponent uh, in areas that we can succeed in. But, uh, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of coaches and, and mentors and you think there's, there's a real opportunity there to get guys have their own game keys. And whether it's, whether it's a public thing uh, or something that's only shared with coaches or, you know, something they just kind of do internally, I really want to, I encourage guys because it's, so it's interesting. So sorry to stop in my train of thought there, but, you know, one of our game keys, keys might be to win a special teams battle, right? But what if you're a guy that doesn't play in any of the special teams, right? You know what I mean? Like, what? Like there are guys, like, you know, typically you have your killers and your, and your power play guys, but there are guys that aren't getting a lot of looks on special teams. Now, like, now you can strike that one game key off his own list, right? So I, I want to start focusing. I've tried it before, but I wanted to start doing it more as a coach, focusing on guys having their own game keys within their own game and their own role. Uh, because when you're identifying a role for a player and just, and this goes back to what you just said, Kenny, like you want to connect everything to the application part, right? So as a coach, it's so easy for me to say, well, Kenny, your role is the fourth line checker, need you to be defensive, pucks out of your zone, get be hard in the forecheck. Okay. That's your role. But I just told him that, did I connect it to anything Did I, you know, did I, did I help him, you know, buy into that role? So I think with the game keys and the, like, and even part of the developmental plan for that individual player, you can start really, you know, breaking things down to specifics. Uh, so I, I, so clearly I haven't mastered it. This is kind of an idea floating in my head right now. Like I've tried it and I've experimented, but I really was hoping this, this season I can try and master it where a guy then has his own game keys. He's aware of the team game keys. He knows what we got to do as a team, but then within that game, this is what he can do to help us accomplish that. So maybe he's not a special teams guy. But maybe because he's such, he plays like such a rat, he can draw a couple penalties. Now, if I draw a couple penalties and we score on a couple of those power plays, now we're achieving that team game key. But that's my game key within that game key. I don't know, maybe, it's too much, maybe that's too much. I, I still got to break it down myself and figure it out. But that's kind of what I'm talking about there. Is, well, I really that. like it, though, because the thing is, you know, it makes everybody more deliberate within their game. Because if the key for the team is we want to, you know, score on a couple of power plays and yeah this guy is skating around going well I'm not on the power play anyway so it's like but then if he knows it's like oh I've got to play a style that I'm going to be the guy that draws the penalty I'm going to be the guy that's you know in the other team's face that's where we're going to get the power play that we then go and score on right if every player has that habit you know obviously game to game I think you know the team starts doing better because every player knows exactly what's expected of them it's not hey, we're all going to go out there and try to score more goals than they score on us. It's, you know, we all know the ultimate outcome we want in the game, but here's how we want each and every one of you guys contributing to that. Yeah, and now you're, now you're connecting everyone's role to the, you know, the application, the final outcome. And yeah. that's, you know, when you, if you can breed that culture where guys start getting fired up about that stuff, like, 
you score a big PP goal and guys are patting the guy who drew the penalty on the head, you know? Yeah. Or, or the guy, you know, who blocked a shot in the D zone and sprung a, a, an odd man rush, he doesn't get on the score sheet. But, you know, you, that's, you start breeding that culture and it becomes, it starts pulsing itself and it, it goes into the player's hands at that point. And that's when you know you're vibing, right? That's when you know your team's on the right track. So that's yeah. that trick. And for some coaches, it never happens, not because the coach isn't good enough. It just, things have to click, right? But that's, I think that's what the goal needs to be is to get that team pulsing on its own. Of course. I mean, I think that's, and it starts, I think it starts putting those, uh, you know, maybe not as noticeable roles, like the guy who's blocking the shot or the guy who's drawing the penalty. It starts putting them uh, into more important positions on the team too, right? It's like, they're feeling like they're, they're feeling like they're doing their part. They're not just sort of a role player to support the guys who are out there scoring 30, 40 goals a season. They're, you know, their part's just as important as anybody else's part. A hundred percent. I worked for Andy Murray at Western Michigan university and Andy obviously coached in the NHL for you know 20 plus years. And he coached team Canada, a number of gold medals. And he had this one saying that really stuck with me. I was 26 years old when I worked for him, but he just said, you got to catch uh, players doing things right. You know, it's so easy to catch players doing things wrong and your video sessions can get really, you know, cluttered with just like, this is wrong. We got to be better. This is wrong. We got to be better. You know, this is a mistake. We can't do that again. Where if you used to show a couple clips of the, the small details of guys doing things right, that the fans in the stands wouldn't pick up on, but you know, a block shot, a great stick on puck, uh, you know, just a guy who's just in the right spot that gets in the way uh, to break up an offensive opportunity for the opponent. You start making those a priority in your video sessions and guys start looking for themselves in the video sessions that get fired up. You got guys coming back to the bench being like, did you see that stick on puck? Did you see that, you know, like, did you see that pick? Did you see that? Like, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that, that for my first three steps off the face off, like, now, now, like guys are are putting so much stock into those things, and those are the little things that are gonna, uh, you know, help you win. So, you know, catch guys doing things right, and I can even say that for an individual basis. Young athletes are their number one critics are themselves. Yeah. Right? So catch yourself doing things right. Like I know that kids nowadays have so much access to video. I know AAA players or you know, whatever, even you know high. School high school basketball players they get their game film like I didn't have that when I played but but it's so easy to watch it and just criticize yourself and it's so easy to take all the criticisms as negative criticism but watch and catch yourself doing something right you know yeah you know I only had I didn't have much offensive zone opportunities this period it's so easy to dwell on that but then look at what you did right that period look at the shots you blocked look at the stick on puck look at the face off that you helped win as a winger uh, you know, catch yourself doing things right. And for coaches, catch your players doing things right. I think it's really important. And, you know, it just makes guys a lot more positive, uh, you know, especially when you're trying to figure out next steps for success. Yeah. And I think that whole thing too, like whether it's from the coach perspective or from the player perspective, you know, like you said, it gets them more fired up about like those little defensive plays and those little things that lead to the bigger plays, the goals and all of that. But also, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, focusing on the things you can control. You can't always control how many pucks go in the net. You can't always control how many opportunities you get to put the puck in the net, but you can control, you know, being in the right place at the right time and making that defensive play. And it's like, if you're finding all of those little things day in and day out, 
it gives you a clearer picture, I think, not only of what kind of player you are and how you're going to best contribute to your team, but also what you can be doing in the rest of your time to make sure that you're improving that role and you're actually bringing the best version of that role to the ice every single game. Yeah, 100%. I think you're right on there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard process, not easy. Winning's not easy. I, I like to say the game is simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that goes for every game. Like, I'm an avid sports fan. I love, love every sport. You know, NBA playoffs are on right now. The Jays are playing well. NFL starting tomorrow. Like, I, but at the end of the day, you can probably break down every one of those games and make it a real simple game, but it's not easy. Of course. Feed, right? Uh, so the, all these little things that, you know, we're bringing up right now, those are things that are going to only help you get better. And, um, yeah, I think it's just paramount to defining your success. Yeah. And so I want to talk to you a little bit too. So right now you're with uh, the Brampton Beast, the ECHL. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure ECHL is level below the AHL, which obviously is a level below the NHL. Correct. Yeah. So we're considered a double A affiliate of the NHL. So it's, yeah, if it was in baseball terms, we'd be a double A team. Okay. So generally I'm assuming a lot of the guys that you have on your team, you're going to get a lot of guys who maybe like didn't get drafted in the NHL right away. And they're sort of trying to work their way up. Yeah. It's interesting. Our, so our league or our team is, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things actually. Like you, you can have guys on three different types of contracts. You can have guys on NHL contracts, uh, American hockey league contracts, or just strictly ECHL contracts at our level. So we do have a number of guys that get drafted uh, or some guys are just signed as free agents in the NHL or some guys that are only in American league deals. Um, but at the end of the day, like just, we just to be completely honest, nobody ever pictures themselves playing in the ECHL. Yeah. So, you know, the only position I'd say that high caliber top end prospects um, are deliberately in the ECHL is, is goaltending. Uh, you know, there's, there's really only usually only six goaltenders in an NHL organization. So between the two guys that are the NHL guys and two in the American league, then they usually have one or two young guys in the ECHL. That's the highest caliber position in our league because those guys are legit, legit prospects still look upon with an upward trajectory. If you end up in our league as an NHL draft pick, it usually means that you got a lot longer way to go for development that they expected, or unfortunately they've probably given up on your development. It's not to say that you can't turn it around, but they're putting you there as a last ditch. Like he's got to play a lot of games, get a lot of repetitions, uh, play a bigger role, and hopefully he refines his game. So it's one of the two. You're either too young still, whether it's maturity-wise, development-wise, uh, or physical-wise, or you just haven't performed and you've just been relegated to, to the ECHL. Um, so those, those are the NHL contracts that we'll see. Um, in our league, American league guys, same kind of deal. Obviously they haven't quite cracked an NHL contract level yet. Uh, maybe they'll only ever get an American league deal, but you know, some guys are signed as depth players. So they're, they're signed to play in the ECHL, but they're there when there's injuries or call-ups or whatever that the American league team will pull up. And then there's just the ECHL guys. Those are guys that are just playing and grinding and trying to make a name for themselves and hoping they, you know, go up the ranks, whether it's, uh, you know, land an AHL deal or call-up or eventually take their career to Europe by and uh, getting a good financial deal over there because they performed well in North America. So you get a wide range of individuals 
and players on different, you know, different levels of their career and lives. Uh, so it's real challenging as a coach to get everyone to buy into one team goal when there's so many different uh, individual pathways. Uh, and it's, that's the exciting. That's the exciting part for me though, is getting guys to buy in and gel as one uh, and then help them accomplish their individual goals as well. So yeah, to, there's a long answer to your question, but there's a lot of different contracts, different players, different ages. There's guys that are in their mid thirties that know I'm never going to play anywhere else. They're on the decline of their career. So they're just doing it to keep playing. Yeah. And now I got to coach that guy, but also coach the 18 year old prospect or 20 year old prospect. That's like, why the heck am I here? I want to go play in the NHL. So how do you, how do you coach those two guys the same way? A lot of the times though, that old guy that's on his way out has been to the mountaintop and back. So now you try to leverage his experience with the young guy. And a lot of times it turns into, well, Hey kid, you don't want to end up like me. So here's what I learned through my experiences. So it's a, it's a, it's a real mental game too. It's, it's, it's tough, but I love it. I love getting guys and pressing their buttons. Yeah, I mean, that's like, it's got to be one of the interesting things. Like I always say about coaching, you're always kind of trying to solve a puzzle that can never actually be solved. Like you're always trying to find the next step or the next answer or the next thing, but there's never going to be, you know, the day where you sit down and you go, okay, I've got everything figured out. And uh, for those, like the kids I want to really talk about are sort of those eight, maybe 18, 20 year old prospects that either got drafted or didn't, but you know, are in that mindset of sort of, you know, well, why the hell am I here? I want to be off plan in the NHL or the AHL. You know, obviously that's a tough pill to swallow if you've been working your whole life for an NHL contract and then you get dropped to that league that, like you said, you know, you're not really picturing yourself in. Um, what would be your best advice for those kids? Like, you know, if you get put down into the ECHL or, you know, you go through your draft year and don't get picked and you're kind of finding yourself without a home, What's your best advice for those kids to, you know, make sure that they're keeping on the trajectory that they aimed for in the beginning and really making strides towards getting back up to the AHL or the NHL? Yeah. I mean, my advice would be, you know, make it a positive, make it a positive chip on your shoulder. You know, there's, there's negative chips, there's positive chips. The negative chips are the woe is me. I'm getting screwed. Nobody believes in me you know, this is BS, whatever. Or there's the positive chip of, you know, F these guys. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. You know what? Good. I'm going down to Brampton. I was playing three minutes a game in Belleville. I'm going to play 20 minutes a game in Brampton. I'm going to light it up, you know? And, and so for me, more so than anything you could do on the ice or skill development or lifting a weight, it's right there. It's just that mentality right there. That's my advice. Like, look at it. Look, you're going to be sad about it. You're going to feel negative feelings about it, without a doubt. But if you can brush that off as quickly as you can and then focus on the positive. Well, hey, I, I was in the American League on an American League contract, but you know what? I was getting no power play time, no penalty kill time. I was in and out of the lineup. I wasn't getting any better. They're sending me to Brampton. Well, I'm going to go down there and just dominate. And you, you almost speak it into existence. And I really think there's – there's a lot to be said about the, the power of positive thinking and positive talk, right? So, you know, maybe I'm not giving any advice on in terms of what a, a, a player can do physically or skill-wise or, you know, developmentally, but I think that trumps everything, just your mindset. So, you know, look at it as an opportunity. Get, yeah, be pissed off. That's right. I, there's nothing, I hate it when I take a guy out of the lineup and he's, he's okay with it. 
I, I'm not happy about that. But I also hate it when I take a guy out of the lineup and he's quote unquote not okay with it, but all he's doing is just sulking about it. Yeah. I want a guy that's pissed off, that's looking at me. I prefer if he doesn't say it with his words, but I can see in his eyes that he's looking at me and saying, you F bleep, 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 everything. And then tomorrow he puts his money where his mouth is or where his eyes were and he just shows up, right? And that's what my advice is, you know, show up. Like we all go through challenges. I got fired in 2019. It was my first pro job. I was the youngest pro uh, coach in the ECHL. Uh, We finished in third place. We made the playoffs and we lost in the first round. And for whatever reason, the president of the team didn't like the way I did things. He fired me. I totally didn't expect it. Again, youngest coach in the league, first year as a pro, as a head coach. We make the playoffs. We finish in third. I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm going to get another year. (laughs) Like, we're going to get back at it. Like, I knew uh, the organization had high expectations. I knew we didn't maybe meet the highest of expectations, but I thought I'd get a second year to do it. So I get fired three days after we get eliminated in the playoffs. So what can I do as, as, as a person, as a coach? I can sit there and say, well, I really got screwed. And I won't lie to you. I said that. I, for sure I said that. I said, man, that was fair. I got screwed. What an a-hole. Like, this guy really, like, did me in right here. And I, but then, you know, after you visit Pityville for a moment, then you got to check yourself. Well, here, what were my pauses? And now we're kind of bringing it all f- full circle because we just talked about this a few minutes ago. What did I do this year? Oh, we were second in the league in penalty kill? Great. Combined special teams, we were top 10 in the league? Great. We finished in third, great. We made the playoffs, great. Uh, we were the youngest team in the league, great. We accomplished that. Okay, so now I'm building myself back up. But I still got that FU mentality. I got the chip on my shoulder, right? I'm not sure if I'm going to get another job. Thankfully, a month and a half later, I do in the same league, right? But now my whole season was about learning how to be better, but also taking the positives from what, what, uh, you know, what I had the previous year and identifying that I'm in a different environment now. So now I can do some things a little bit differently. Now I can, uh, you know, be a little bit more focused on certain things. So now I have a great season with Brampton. We beat every top team in the league. We go down to the team that fired me and demolish them. You know, so now that's how you make a statement. That's how you prove yourself. That's how the next opportunity is going to come. But at the end of the day, that's how you feel more proud about yourself. So yeah. that's, that's my advice to those players. Find a way to be proud of yourself again. And it's by having that mentality. You know, you don't want to be in the ECHL, that's fine. No one's going to judge you because you say, I don't want to be here. But you better show up to be when you are here so you can get the heck out as fast as you can. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like you couldn't have said it better. It's something that, you know, you can get stuck. It's easy to get stuck in that mindset of, you know, woe is me and I got screwed or whatever else it might be because I know – you know, like you said before, we've all done it. We all do it. But then it's just the way you're able to pull yourself out of it and make yourself realize, hey, okay, maybe I feel like I got screwed, but here's where I'm at. So how am I going to make the best of where I'm at now? And just what you were saying about, you know, kids coming kids coming down to the ECHL and, you know, wh- how are you going to handle that? Are you going to be that one who sort of sits in the corner and sulks because you were in the AHL and they sent you down? Or are you going to come down and say, well, you know what? I'm going to get power play time. I'm going to get penalty kill time. I'm going to come down here and I'm going to dominate. And uh, for those kids, is there anything you can give them that can kind of help them maybe speak that into existence? Like if they are sort of maybe letting it hit them a little harder than, 
they'd like to, is there anything, any tricks, anything that they can sort of work on to really make sure that they're not just saying those words, but they are really truly living that sentiment and living that mindset every day? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. It's a tough one, right? Like, but I think one thing is like, write it down, you know, like write the pros down and write the cons down. Right. But actually sit there and think about it. Right. And when you write them, now you're, you're being deliberate with it because now you're not only just saying it, it's easy. I can just say something and then it's gone out of my own ears. Yeah. You know, write it down. So write all your feelings down. Right. And this goes right back to just talking or talk to somebody and tell them how you feel or tell yourself how you feel. These are the cons, you know, never expected to be in the ECHL, never expected to get sent down, you know, playing at a low level. Maybe I'm embarrassed, this, this, and that. But then here are the pros and you're right, like we said, more playing time, more opportunity, more responsibility, um, fresh start, different coach. You know, maybe you hate the coach that just sent you down, right? But this guy doesn't know you. Maybe this guy's really excited that you're coming down, right? Different relationships. And then I would take that piece of paper and I'd split it in half and I'd crumple up the cons and throw it out in the garbage and then just look at the ones on the pro side and then just keep reciting them to yourself. So now you've, you've said it. You've thought about it. You've written it down. You've deliberately, tri- you know, it's, it's almost like it's imagery almost, but you've thrown out the negative and now you got, you're left the positive and this is what you're going to look at. And I think, again, it, it all comes to that mentality. Um, but, you know, talking to other people, you know, if you're, you know, and I'm only talking about my specific example right now as being an ECHL coach. Question. If, you're, if you're an American league player, that got sent down to the ECHL, I guarantee that guy knows 20 other guys have been in the same, same boat. And maybe 10 of them have come out of it really successfully. Guys come out, the guys come out of it and play in the, in the NHL, right? Or maybe some guys haven't. Reach out to both. Reach out to the guys who haven't and reach out to the guys who have. I bet you you get the same damn answer. The guys who, who came out negatively out of it probably said, oh, I should have done this, I should have done this, I should have done that. The guys who came out positively out of it probably did that, did this, did that, right? So whichever way, but I encourage, don't just look at the positive guys, the guys who got sent to the ECHL and then ended up winning a Stanley Cup. Don't just reach out to those guys. Reach out to the guys that got sent to the ECHL and never played a, a pro hockey season again after that year. And they will, you'll get the same answer, I almost guarantee it. Um, so talking Absolutely. to people is critical. Yeah, and so one thing I wanted to ask you off of that, because you know it's one thing obviously to hear us sitting here saying this stuff, but... I think what really speaks to people is examples. Do you have any examples of, you know, guys who maybe have been sent down to your team or guys who just started off in the ECHL with you? I know you've been in the ECHL for not a super long time now, but in those two years, have you had guys who have been able to, you know, sign a contract back in the AHL or the NHL since you've been with them? Yeah, I've had a hundred percent. So we've had guys. uh, So more recently, uh, an example. uh, So Joey, Joey, uh, Decord, he's a, a goaltender that was drafted by the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he came out of Arizona State University. And he came out and he thought, look, I'm gonna, my rookie season, I'm going to be in the American League. Like, it's, it's going to happen. And he ends up with us. And he was honest, though. Super smart kid, smart individual, real, really good person. But he was honest. He's like, man, I did not expect myself to be in Brampton, Ontario. He's from Boston. He just went to school for three years in, in Arizona. He was drafted to the you know, Ottawa centers. And after his season ended in his senior or his last year at Arizona state, 
He played an NHL game, so he's already got an NHL game under his belt. So last thing he thought, he was playing in Brampton, Ontario, in the ECHL. And, you know, I just said to him, I said, look, you're here to develop. You're here to see shots. You're here to play games, to start games. We're going to start you. We're going to start you back-to-backs. We're going to start you, uh, you know, on big-time games. We're going to start you at, on our home opener. We're going to give you all these opportunities. And you might not have gotten that if you were in Belleville to start the season. And I guarantee at some point there's going to be an injury, there might be a trade, or you're going to get called up just to play your first American League game. So what our focus together needs to be right now is just get you as prepared as possible for that first American League game. And then once you get that opportunity, then it's up to you to stay there. And lo and behold, Craig Anderson gets hurt. Uh, Nielsen gets a season-ending concussion. So now all the shuffling begins. Joey Decord played 12 games with us. He was great. He struggled at times because it was his rookie season, but he was great overall. He bought in. He looked at it always as a process of how he was going to make it to the NHL, and he connected it. Again, talking about connection, he connected all the little things we did in Brampton to what he's going to do to Ottawa when he gets there. And then once he got to Belleville, Belleville was out of, a, out of the playoffs when he got there. And then they just took off, and he became one of the best goalies in the AHL in his rookie season, and he helped them win. They went on like a 16-game win streak or something like that, and they were the first-place team in their division. Unfortunately for them, the season got cut short like it did for all of us. But it, that was my most recent example. Like he, he was signed to an NHL contract, but he still choked up that he was an ECHL goaltender. Um, but he bought in, he showed up, he, he started taking, you know, putting the onus on himself. Like he'd run his own little goalie sessions. Like he'd pull shooters uh, before practice, after practice. Like I need to work on this. I need to get better at this. And he just, he showed that drive every day and he, he succeeded. Uh, my favorite example of all time is a player by the name of Luke Glendening. Uh, he just finished, I think his sixth year uh, with the Detroit Red Wings. He's an everyday NHLer. Doesn't put up a lot of points. Fourth line center, fourth line right winger. Um, but he's been there. He's played for Team USA at the World Championships. He was a guy that at a prep school, he was a better football player than he was a hockey player. Uh, you know, but, you know, at prep school, you had to play two sports. He played hockey and football. He wanted to play hockey. He walked on to the University of Michigan. He went to Red Berenson's office. I'd like to walk on. Red Berenson said, sure, you know, show up at first day and we'll see what you got. He walks on. By the time he's in the fourth year, he's a captain. He's a full scholarship player. Then he signs a two-way deal, American League two-way deal with the ECHL and, and AHL uh, with Grand Rapids and Toledo. He starts in the ECHL in Toledo. Toledo coaches don't love him. He's their, you know, he's their last forward on the depth chart. We have injury trouble. We have injury trouble in, uh, in Grand Rapids. We call him up because he signed to a Grand Rapids deal. He hadn't been playing much in Toledo. And then he finds his niche, and then he starts working on it. I, he wasn't a centerman until he got to Grand Rapids, but he works on face-offs. He works on getting better. He works on providing value. He works on the penalty kill. Just works, works, works. We win the Calder Cup that year. Detroit signs him to an NHL deal the following year. He splits the following year with us uh, in Grand Rapids and Detroit. And then since then, he's never looked back. He's been a Detroit Red Wing for every single day since then. So it happens, but the guy put the work into it. Like, he – he put the work into it. He was humble. Um, and it was just amazing to see his, his trajectory as, a, as an athlete. So, yeah. you know, and, and I saw so many other guys that didn't do it. But, again, I bet you if you asked them what they should have done, it's everything that Luke Lindenning did. Uh, 
So that's why I advise people to reach out, talk. There's nothing better than talking. Yeah. We hear a lot about it today with mental health and and all that stuff, but it's the same for mental performance. It's not just, you know, we always, you know, there's bell, let's talk and all that stuff. And that stuff is critical and extremely important, but it's, it's not just for bad negative things that someone, someone's hurting. We want them to talk, but even for positive things, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're sick. It doesn't mean anything like that. You need to talk. Yeah. Right. It's so important in all walks of life right now, whether it's mental health or mental performance or just needing somebody. So you get sent down or you get cut from a team, reach out to somebody else that got cut from the team. You know, they'll help. They'll give you some advice that that'll be meaningful one way or another. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think what I love the most about, uh, you know, both those stories with uh, Joey Decord and with Luke Glennenning is just, it's the utter lack of entitlement, right? Like, you know, you were saying Decord came down and he was like a little bit choked up, but then as soon as you sort of put it to him as, yeah, you know what, we're, you're down in the ECHL, but we're going to use every opportunity here at every moment here to get you the absolute best prepared for that AHL call up as possible. He bought in full board like he didn't sit there and go yeah but I should be in the AHL right now or you know he's not sitting there being upset anymore he's sitting there going okay when that call comes I'm going to be ready and sure enough that call came when he put that work in every day that call came and he made it up with the team and he stuck there and the same thing with Luke Glendening like he's the last forward on the depth chart in the ECHL and now he's a full-time NHLer and because I think a lot of kids out there can kind of get stuck in like, get stuck in the path, you know, like I'm in Calgary right now. So here for hockey, it's the WHL. And right. like, I've had kids that play minor midget hockey that have told me, oh, well, I missed my WHL year. So, you know, I guess that's kind of it for me. I missed my WHL draft. And I'm going, man, you didn't get drafted into the WHL the first year. That's okay. Like, you can play junior hockey in other places. Junior hockey leads to college. College leads to, you know, the ECHL and you work your way up. It's like, you don't have to be in the NHL at 18 to make it to the NHL. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's an Albertan that's really proven all that in Kale McCarr, right? Yeah. Wasn't on anybody's radar. Didn't make Team Alberta. Didn't, I think he only, he didn't play AAA until his midget year, you know, then plays in Brooks and, and even, coming, you know, college commitments and college offers like UMass Amherst when they offered him wasn't a top program. He helped them become a top program, but you know, it, but he made it the best of every opportunity that he got, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something like if I could, if personally I could, you know, beat any message into young athletes heads, it's, you know, again, yeah, like you were saying before, there's no single path. Everybody's going to go their different way but the key is the things you can control, right? The key is what you're doing every day. If you're not where you want to be right now, what are you doing today to get where you want to be tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow to get where you want to be the day after that? Yeah, 100%. So it's, uh, again, it's not an easy road, um, but utilize the resources. My number one resource is, is people too. Like utilize people around you. I think it's so important, you know, just to, bounce your thoughts and feelings off of others. When you internalize it, it, you just get into a whirlwind of things, right? And you start worrying about the things you can't control. So I, yeah, I think you're right on the money there, Kenny. Like, especially these young kids, there's a lot of pressure this, these days, um, a lot of outside factors. So I think it's important for leaders and coaches to really t- 
tap into, you know, the, these, what these players are actually feeling and, and help guide them into what they can control. Um, and unfortunately there's some people that don't do that. They probably make the problem worse, but you know, that's, that is what it is, I guess. I mean, yeah. Do our best uh, within the, you know, the people that we work with. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think as, you know, same as we tell athletes, right. It's, you know, we're not always going to be perfect. We're not always going to make the right decision or the right call, but then it's being able to sit down, take a look at what we did or what we said or how we handled a certain situation and figure out, Hey, maybe I didn't handle that the best. How do I change it? How do I make it better next time? Just like we're telling them to do with their play or in my case with, you know, what they're doing in the gym too. 100%. So just as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask one last question. I think we've touched on quite a lot of really good stuff here. Like a lot that I know I'm going to be taking away and uh, bringing to a lot of athletes I work with as well. But if you could take one thing right now from all of your experience as a coach, all of your experience playing, that could maybe help a kid out there that's looking to, you know, make a career in sport, whether it is on the coaching side or whether it is on the playing side, what would that thing be and why? Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is just to really enjoy the journey and enjoy where you're at in the moment, like be, be present in the moment, I think. And again, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this and I am telling you this because I've been, the number one victim of it. But uh, a lot of times we get caught up in where we want to be, uh, where we want to go, where, you know, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan. And like we talked about earlier, when we kick this thing off, where this guy is and where that guy is, and I'm not there, we get caught up in all that. And I think it's so important to just enjoy the journey, wherever you are. That level you're at in that present moment is the most important job or team or level that you are ever going to be in and that's the way it needs to be treated uh and sometimes it's okay to stay at that level for a while uh you know one of my mentors andy murray talked about mountain sickness with me and he asked me if i knew what mountain sickness was and i said no i don't really know he asked me if i ever read any books about climbing mountains climbing everest and i said not really so then he sat down and lectured me about when you when you take on a task of climbing a mountain you know, you start at base camp, but then you've got to make other camps as you move on. And sometimes you've got to stay at those camps for a week, two weeks. Because then he asked me point blank, you know what happens if you just try and climb it all in one shot? And I said, no, not really. And he said, you're going to die. You're going to, like, you, you, you're not used to the, the, uh, the altitude, the climate, the change in environment, the change in temperature, uh, the change in, in uh, elevation. You're, you're not used to that. So that's why you got to climb to a certain point and stay there. And sometimes it's, you stay there for a couple of days and sometimes you stay there for a couple of weeks. Like it, it takes a long time to climb a mountain, especially one of that's the biggest mountain in the world. And he said that to me, it really struck a chord because all I ever thought of as a young coach was, okay, I'm in division one. I started at division three NCAA. I'm in division one NCAA. Next, I got to get the pro and then pro. I got to get to the ECHL and the American league and the NHL. And that's you know, my mind spinning, spinning, spinning. And a lot of times I lost, the appreciation of the level I was at. And through that, I made some poor decisions. I lost some mentors. I lost some friends because I would just go, 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 go. Sometimes I didn't show enough loyalty. Um, And it wasn't so much loyalty in in the person I was working with, but they probably knew it it was in my best interest to stay in the position I was in. But then I just took off or something else. Uh, And that's a really dangerous thing to do. So, you know, enjoy the journey, avoid mountain sickness, treat the job, you're in the people you currently work with or the level you're currently playing or the people you're currently playing with 
as the most important person in your career, the most important thing in your career, the most important group in your career, because ultimately that's what's going to get you to the next level. So, you know, do everything you can to make them better, the environment better, the, uh, the program better and yourself better at that level and just enjoy that journey. Um, because if you get too caught up in moving upwards too quickly or where other people are at, you're just, you're going to die like climbing Mount Everest too, too quickly. So that, that'd be my number one piece of advice. Still something I'm learning, uh, you know, still something I'm trying to find good balance with because you do also want to have your plans. You want to have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. I think it's important for life when you get married and you have kids and you're saving money and you got college coming in, in 10 years, like that, that's all important as well, but be present in the moment. Right. And, uh, you know, connect what you're doing right now. And again, it seems like we're being repetitive, but I like how everything's starting to blend together, connect what you're doing right now to that 10 year plan. It'll make you stay present in the moment a lot, a lot better. Yeah. I mean, I love that too, though, because that's something that, you know, by focusing and giving everything you've got to the level you're at, even if it's not where you want to be, for example, you know, a kid coming down into the ECHL, knowing that that's not where he wants to be playing forever, you know, the way you're going to get that AHL offer is by showing that you're a guy who's there to make the team win. You're a guy who's there that's going to, you know, giving everything he's got every day. But if all you're focused on is the jump up to the next level, you know, you're missing out on that day-to-day stuff. You're missing out on actually making yourself better because you're focused on, you know, who's watching and who's going to give me an offer. And I think, uh, you know, it's really key because even if you are sitting in the ECHL, man, you're getting paid to play the sport you love to play. Like that's a better life than 99% of the people out there. And if you give all your energy to that, man, it's only going to keep getting better from there. 100%. It's an appreciation thing too. There's a lot of players and people that want to be at the level you're currently at, even though it's not the one you want to be at. There's also guys on my roster on any given day, I might have a guy that played in the SPHL the year before. And he realistically knows he's not going to make it past the ECHL. He's ecstatic to be there. So he's reached his NHL. Yeah. down and disrespect it it's not going to go very far so you got to be present in in identifying that that guy is living out his dream right next to you um and you're going to do everything you can to help his dream continue to be a reality even if it's not yours uh at the moment so i think that's that's really critical yeah man i love that i think that's just there's been so much good in this interview just like really getting down into breaking down you know the day-to-day life of a player and just those little things that are going to continue to help athletes and help coaches improve too. Cause I think there was a lot for both sides in this one. So I really appreciate that about uh, the last hour and a bit as well. Uh, so just no, before no, no, no. I let you go, just before I let you go, if somebody is looking to get in contact with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to get in contact, whether it's for questions about the interview or just anything else that they'd like to do, talk to you about? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, my email address is, uh, spiros.anastas at gmail.com and I'm also like I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on all social media too so yeah it's uh I'm pretty much the only Spiros Anastas in, in uh you know if you don't know how to spell it just look it up and then just put it together and that's the email address but uh I, I love I mean I think it's really important um to always pay it forward too we're always looking for our opportunities and our chances and somebody to give us some time uh and i haven't gone to where i've been without people giving me opportunities so that's why i answer 
every email, every call, every message um, as quickly as I can. It, sometimes it may take a couple of days. Sometimes it may take a week, but I do answer them. I know a lot of coaches, a lot of people in higher positions sometimes don't, but I really believe um, in doing so. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, I, I haven't met Kenny until today. So, uh, you know, that's, I think it's really important. So anyone that reaches out to me can expect a response. All I ask is that they respond when somebody else reaches out to them as well. Of course, man. And I think that was, yeah, something I wanted to mention as well is like, I really appreciated not just the speed of your response when I reached out about coming on the show, but it was the enthusiasm too. Like you seemed just really into the idea right away. And it was, you know, anything you could do to help, you were jumping right in to be able to do it. So I, I always appreciate that because, uh, you know, I do think this show holds some good value and I don't at all feel that's because of me. I feel like I'm getting a lot of great people on here sharing a lot of really great stories and great insight that really can help a lot of people. So I really appreciate you being a part of that. Yeah, no, thank you for putting this stuff together during these, uh, during these tough times. Uh, I've been fortunate to do a few of these, but it's the guys that have actually put them together that, uh, are the ones that are kind of doing the work and doing the editing and, and providing these resources for whether they're players, coaches or, or anyone. So no, I appreciate the invite and, uh, really happy to do it. It was, I think it was, the hour flew by quickly. I, I thought it was some good content. So hopefully it helps some people out. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, seeing what the team's able to do this year when your season comes back. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again. Okay, appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.